five under. The three best friends you didn't know you had. Having said that one a while, Barry, wanted to let the fans know, wanted to remind them that we uh, we love them and they uh, they reciprocate and it's a mutually uh, satisfactory relationship without the uh, the hand lotion. <laughs> it's, a, it's mutually satisfactory. Exactly. We haven't said that a while. And the truth is, if you're listening to this right now, you are our best friends, right? I mean, this Absolutely. is it. This is our world right here. So. On today's episode, we are going February 22nd, 1999, to the rings of WCW. Speaking of erections, there are people out there going, oh my God, WCW, they're going to talk about WCW. I'm talking about you, Chris Z. Anyway, we are going Brett the Hitman Hart taking on Barry Rose. I mentioned it when we were, before we started recording, I don't think we've ever done a Booker T match, have we? I don't think so. Yeah. So our very first time talking about Booker T and besides that, oh, Barry, we're going to do a little Florida man or not. Oh. Uh, people like that kind of stuff. We will have a special message from our friends, Frankie and Jenna Seacrest regarding what? Barry, what are we, what are we going to have a message about? Regarding CWF Legends Fan Fest number eight coming up June the 4th of this year. And they have a special offer. Uh, and it is a, at this point, limited time offer. Would that be yes. correct, Mr. Rose? You want to, so when you hear this announcement, if you have not already contacted Frankie or uh, his lovely wife, Jana, you're going to want to jump on this because I believe the deadline is just in a few days, Jeff, on the 31st. Absolutely. So besides all that, Barry, let's talk a little food. What do you say? Oh, I know food. that Barry Rose never tires of talking food. So the other day, the sainted Mrs. Baldwin, in fact, believe it or not, Barry, first time in over 20 years, I don't know that she's ever called out sick since the day I first dated her. She's she's not one of these people, you know, little sniffle, I'm going to use a sick day and call out. No, my wife is a trooper, but she had a, uh, a very bad sinus infection. We were worried at first. Barry thought it was the vid, but it wasn't. Oh. Uh, doctor uh, said she had a, a sinus infection, got the antibiotics, but she took the day off. So we went out there uh, and decided to hit. We have a, a recently opened, she was feeling better, recently opened Ale House here in the area. And so we had been trying to go there. And every time we called, eh, it's a 45-minute wait uh, to an hour. And we're like, holy shit, man, it's really not, uh, you know, it's not 6.30 on a Friday night, Barry, you know. And it was always a huge line. And so we called, and by the way, Barry, I love this part. We called, uh, it was 2 o'clock on a Friday. Do you guys have okay. any wait? No wait. No wait right now. I said, okay. And Barry, we were less than five minutes away. We pull into the parking lot. We get out of the car, walk in. Yes, table for two. I mean, it's not like we had a table for eight that we were looking for. Table for two. The young lady looks at us and goes, ah, it's about a 15 to 20 minute wait. I said, are you kidding me? I literally have called less than five minutes ago and I was told no wait. And she goes, smile on her face. Yeah, that's right. I was the one that answered the phone. <laughs> and I'm like, and I actually was about ready to let go. But I realized the poor girl is just a hostess. And I said, WTF. I actually used that word. I go, we just called. And I was like, oh, my God. So Kim's like, well, it's not too long. We'll sit and wait. So we sit and wait. Uh, about five minutes later, we see one of the servers come walking up. Uh, table 133 is cleaned off and ready to go. Okay. And Kim and I are waiting and waiting. I turn around and look, and I see, uh, I said, oh, Kim, uh, apparently table 133 is uh, ready. I don't know why they're not uh, seating us. And we waited about five more minutes. 
Table 133 still sitting there. Nobody using it. Nobody uh, occupying it. Oh. Uh, nobody cleaning it. It's all ready. And another five minutes goes by. <whistles> okay, we're ready to seat you now. Barry, guess what table they took me to? They didn't take you to that table, did they? No, they took us to table 133. The one that had been <laughs> sitting there for 10 fucking minutes. No one bothering to use it. And so, oh, I said, oh, oh, the table's now available. That's so nice. So yeah. then a couple minutes go by and the, uh, the server comes over uh, and uh, she says, uh, yeah, uh, can I get you something to drink? Uh, you know, like yeah, usual uh, patter. And I said, ah, hold on a second. I got to ask you a question. I said, it's two o'clock on a Friday. Okay, I'm looking around. And it's not like, you know, there's a, a, a thousand people here. Every table is filled to the brim. And it's not like there's like 20 people here and there's a lot of empty tables. I go, so my question is, is this a server problem, a kitchen problem, or are you giving away food and I don't know about it? And she goes, oh, no, 100% it's a kitchen problem. So that's the end of that story for right now. And as I was reaching out to Barry to talk to him about this incident, I also told him, that next to my wife's uh, place where she works, there is a Starbucks, okay? Uh, let me just say, I know some of you folks out there, coffee drinkers. I, I don't get it. I don't get why people <laughs> will wait in line for 25 fucking minutes to get a triple mocha cappuccino latte or whatever the fuck you get, uh, you know, with all that, and then pay like eight bucks for a friggin' cup of coffee. I'm not a coffee guy. I don't understand that, and I never will. But literally every time I go to visit my wife at her business or when I was doing therapy at her place, because that's where I did my, my physical therapy for my shoulder, there was always at least 10, 10 cars in line for the drive-thru at Starbucks to the point where it really blocked traffic in the plaza where they worked, okay? So I couldn't help noticing the other day that there was no cars in line at the Starbucks. And I made a point of asking the sainted Mrs. Vowder, and I go, what the fuck's going on with the uh, Starbucks? There's nobody in line. That's never happened. She goes, aha or uh, to quote the great John Panette, who someone posted a picture of, nay, yes. nay. Did you ever see John Panette, by the way, Barry? Yeah, I said I saw that the picture that you're referring to. Yeah, I like him. Nay, nay. Uh, they're not open, she said. They've closed. They appear to be having staffing problems. Not the first time we talked about that, Barry. And so Starbucks had to close. So now we will bring Barry Rose into discussion. As I ask him, better situation uh, problem-solving to actually close your business for a couple of days because you do not have the proper amount of servers or staffing, or is it better to keep the place open, but no, because of the problems that were inherent with how long it took to seat us, uh, some, yeah, let's say, uh, not being completely satisfied with the meal or service, which might lead us to not return to that alehouse which one of the two situations, uh, as someone in the restaurant industry, better, uh, Barry, which one is better for you to have to deal with? So I, I, why don't we look at the Starbucks situation first? That, that kind of makes sense to close it down because it, if you are short-staffed, and my assumption is, I don't know, this is a big Starbucks, correct? Um, it's not a freestanding. It's like on the side of a building, but it has like a drive-through lane. I think okay, their business so is probably 75% drive-through. Gotcha. Which so then you're going to need somebody at the front counter. You're going to need somebody who is uh, going to somebody who has to make the beverages, somebody who's got a man that drive through. So at a minimum, we'll look at three employees. If one person shows up to work, then it is going to be impossible to operate the Starbucks. My guess is they did not make this decision. They probably had to call corporate headquarters and say, 
we're just not staffed. I don't know what we should do. They probably said in order to protect the integrity of the brand of Starbucks, you're probably best off to close until we can get our staffing issues taken care of. So that that makes sense. Where the restaurant failed you, this is a very, very common thing, is that there was no communication given to you beforehand. So had you called the restaurant and had you been told, you know, we do have tables, there's currently no wait. First off, it's two o'clock in the afternoon in the restaurant biz, Jeff, that's called a shoulder time. It's after lunch, but the hours before lunch, after lunch, prior to dinner, and then after dinner, essentially, are shoulder times when you try to get as much money as you can because, you know, who goes and eats at three o'clock? I would, but most people wouldn't. So you, you try to figure out ways to drum up business and do it that way. Had they communicated with you and had they communicated when you walked into the restaurant that we are short staffed, we apologize, we appreciate your patience, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And what, what would have taken care of that, Jeff? A, a note on the door? I walk into a restaurant all the time. Frankie Seacrest, who uh, we just mentioned, one of the best sushi restaurants is right near his house called Thai Star Sushi. Great plug for these guys, by the way. The sushi is phenomenal. But future sponsors. I'm certainly hopeful. Right on the front door in gigantic letters, almost a poster board is, please be advised that you may be waiting. We are extremely short-staffed and we apologize. That's up to you then. If you want to walk through those doors with the expectation you may be waiting, that's where it is. But the fact that you go into a restaurant, there are empty tables, and nobody says a word to you about it as to why this is happening, it's kind of mind-boggling. Well, so at I, that stage, again, I think this all goes back to some form of communication. With that, it does sound like you had a hostess who might have been so <laughs> – let's offend – people with this name everywhere. So the term for a young hostess who is, uh, let's say she's in 11th grade, she is more concerned with her weekend plans and her phone. Her name is Brittany. So you, have, <laughs> so you had Brittany at the front and Brittany is making, you know, nine bucks an hour, maybe 10 bucks an hour. Brittany truly doesn't give a shit. <laughs> this is this is a stopgap for Brittany. This is not, you know, where she plans on being. So you're taking a young lady who is not vested in the success of the restaurant. And, you know, look, she's making her money. She's doing what she thinks is her job. In Brittany's defense, she doesn't have an understanding of how all this works, right? She just does what the manager tells her to do. And if a manager is staying far away from the host stand that's having some inherent issues. Shame on the manager at that point, Jeff. So a couple things. Uh, first of all, uh, does she say to me uh, when I ask her, hey, how long is it going to be for the table? Does she say to me, back off, I'm Britney, bitch. Uh, you know, that's my Britney Spears reference. So uh, that size restaurant, an alehouse, you're familiar with the alehouse, I'm guessing? Oh, absolutely. How many managerial staff do they would they usually have uh, on a Friday afternoon? Like so just one would, manager would be a manager and assistant no, you'd, manager. You'd have. Yeah. So my, my guess is because Friday being technically the second busiest day of the week, Saturday being the first busiest, you've got a, you're going to have three managers at a minimum on duty. You're going to have an opening manager. You're going to have a mid manager who's going to work the lunch and the dinner shift. And then you're going to have the nighttime dinner manager. My guess 
we're somewhere between two and three o'clock right here. You're going to have a minimum of two. You may even have had three managers on duty. Okay. The reason I asked that was the way I think that you solve the problem is you have you have you have one of the managers instruct Brittany. You need to tell everybody we are having staffing issues in the kitchen. We're happy to have their business, but there's going to be a delay in the food getting to them, even though we can seat them as soon as possible. That's my first potential solution. The other potential solution, and this is something that you said when you were a restaurant manager, uh, is that you would go around, uh, how is your meal? Is everything okay? Anything, can we get you a drink? Uh, can we get you anything else? That kind of thing, you do a little glad handing and say, hey, listen, uh, I see you haven't got your meal yet. I just want to let you know we're doing everything we can, but we're having staffing issues in our kitchen and we have a shortage of, you know, like line cooks. So there is going to be a minor delay. That's all you have to say. There's going to be a minor delay in your food getting into, you know, out to you. Can I, can I get you a, an extra Pepsi or can I get you something like an, uh, maybe an appetizer to, to make it up to you? Do something to let the, the customer know that there's a problem. What do you think of that, Bear? It's a single word, Jeff. It's what we just said. It's communication. Exactly. If, if there's not something that is on your website, and why not? Why not put it on your website that, you know, letting people know? But I, I understand why they wouldn't do a website because that would deter you from going to the restaurant. Sure. No, you want to get them in the door. I understand that. But with that, you don't want them coming through your front door and then being angry. As we all know, that that's the complete opposite of what we want to do. But what you want to do is you want to have a sign on your door. You want to have Brittany apologize and say, we appreciate you visiting us today. However, we are currently short staffed and there is there may be a delay in seating your table. But again, my guess and look, the manager may have been in the kitchen even cooking. Right. If sure. they're staffed in the cook in the kitchen. Oh, and that's why I was asking how many would be on, uh, you know, on. Duty. Sure. Sure. In, in a perfect world. And as we all know, this COVID has completely changed restaurants. There should have been an open, a close, and a mid-manager. Let's even say there was only two managers where they both in the kitchen. But here's the other aspect of this, Jeff. This wasn't something that was indicative to just your visit. This was occurring the day before. This was occurring two days before. This is nothing new, right? A lot of restaurants, I go, I was at a restaurant the other day, same exact thing. And they, they tell you when you walk in, there may be a delay. Jeff, listen to this fucking craziness. I went to a restaurant. I went to shit four or five this past weekend. I was all over the place. I was in like four or five different restaurants. I was in one on Friday night and I was going to order chicken wings. I saw them delivered to a table. They were the most gorgeous chicken wings I've ever seen. I said, I think I'm going to take an order of wings. I think I'm going to do the eight. I'm going to do the hot honey. And she said, okay. And this was good. I just need to inform you. Our chicken wings currently are $2 per wing. Wow. Let what happened be. to quarter wing night? <laughs> I remember when wings were 50 cents and I would say yeah. that that's, that's, that's still too expensive. So I, I meet, we got out of the restaurant and I Google it. Is there a chicken wing shortage? There's a lot of conflicting reports here, but I can tell you chicken wings have jumped 32% wow, in the last 12 crazy. months. Yeah. That's what the article said. People, there's, uh, you know, U.S. News and World Report that, you know, some people think that this is not not true. And they said prices of chicken breasts have doubled in the last year, regardless to say I had a delicious cheesesteak, Jeff. That was 
I was not going to spend. Which is unusual uh, because, you know, a lot of times guys will pay more for a, a nice, a nice breast, but I digress. Right. Hello, brother shippers. It's Frankie. And I'm here with my beautiful, smart, sexy, successful wife, Jana. Hi, everyone. And we just want to let you know, you know, we're so happy to be able to help get another brother shipper to the Fan Fest this year on June the 4th. Uh, which of the headliner is Axe and Smash Demolition, also known as the Repo Man, Mass Superstar. You're getting all those in one shot. A lot of other guests there too, but anyway, this isn't about the guests. This is about you guys attending. So we've had five folks already that have sent in um, their name to be considered to meet with us and all of the rest of you at the Fan Fest. Uh, but time is coming close to being at an end. So if you are somebody that'd like to be considered, even if you don't think that, you know, you would be considered or picked or you think somebody else is more deserving, we'd love to hear from you. Um, so you can go ahead and shoot Frankie an email or look for the post on Facebook and be sure to go ahead and submit your information so that we can consider you to join us. So I'm looking forward to seeing everybody at the next Fan Fest. And just a reminder, the cutoff date for submissions is January 31st. Well, that sums it up. Thank you so much, my beautiful, smart, sexy wife. And we'll see you guys in the Facebook group. The email, if you want to shoot me an email, then I'll send you the link to the form is 233-0186 at gmail.com. Okay, bye. Bye. Match of the week, Barry. Little treat for the listeners. Oh, Barry, we have a fan or two of WCW. We are talking the 22nd of February, 1999. The Hitman, Red Hart, taking on. Barry, we have never once in over 200 and however many episodes we have never done a Booker T match, I don't think, have we? I don't think so. I I know we've I think we've brought Booker T up in in some sort of context, but I don't think we've ever technically reviewed one of his matches previously, Jeff. So I'm going to tell you how I found out about this match. None other than one of your boys from FTR Barry on a Twitter posted uh, that he had just why he says, "Hey, if you want to see a really good match that people don't talk about." Check out this match, Bret Hart versus Booker T. And Barry had a chance to watch the match. Was he right? Yeah, so it is a really good match, too. And, uh, you know, WCW, was it was such an interesting promotion in that they, it wasn't, so I think the difference, I, I can go back and I can think about, and I watched all WCW at that stage, and it was never boring. You know, there was a lot of shit that was mixed in with a lot of great stuff. But at the same time, it was never boring. And really, the point of reference I'm making is the WWE, which I just find terminally like just channel inducing because it's so boring. But it, there was good stuff. There was bad Although, stuff. Fairly at this point, WWE was was doing some compelling stuff. Or are oh, you talking about? Point, absolutely, they were. No, they yeah, were. You're talking about yeah. now. I'm just talking about now. It's almost okay. you know, I to get through a two or three hour show, it's almost impossible for me. It's just it's completely boring. But they were that this was all part of the attitude era, I believe, sure. right? Ninety nine. Yes. So so it was it was interesting. But WCW had a knack for putting on really good matches. And I think a lot of the Lucha stuff, a lot of the guys that had come over from Mexico who weren't really booked correctly, but yet still having the best matches on the card and guys like Eddie Guerrero, you know, the the late Chris Benoit, uh, Chris Malenko. Jericho. Yeah, yeah. Malenko. Absolutely. There. There was some great stuff mixed in. And then you had Bret Hart and Booker T. And 
Booker T was kind of the surprise for me in a lot of ways. I remember when he made his debut in WCW as part of Harlem Heat with Stevie Ray, and nobody really knew who he was outside of Texas. I don't think he had ever worked before. So it was, uh, you know, everybody was like, wow, who is this guy? You know, nobody knew him and uh, has a great look. You know, when you look at the guy, he looks, there's a lot of comparisons physically, I believe, to The Rock. I believe you've got a guy that's in a similar. Those those shoulders and traps are pretty friggin' impressive, I got to say. Yeah, he was, he just physically, he looks great. And the truth is when you watch his matches, especially the WCW stuff, Booker T was really good. You know, he doesn't, I don't think he gets enough credit. And in to WCW's defense, they did make him world's world's heavyweight champion, which really says a lot, you know, that, that they were, they saw that in him. I never truly liked him when he got to the Federation. I thought he was miscast. He was misused. I just never liked him. And, uh, every time he does interviews, I realize that I, I don't like him outside of his WCW. And I'm talking about even interviews outside of the scope of doing a promo, but you know, Booker T offers his opinion all the time. I think he may be part of a podcast or may even have his own podcast and he offers his opinions and I listen to him and I, I just go, yeah, I don't know about that, man. You're, you're really stretching it here. And, uh, I don't, I don't necessarily like him as a human being based off when I hear him talk, but as a wrestler in WCW underrated and underappreciated, I don't think he gets the love that he probably deserves again, physically, this guy's a specimen, just looks fantastic. But he also had a unique style in, you know, in wrestling as well. He wasn't a copycat of a lot of other guys and capable of having very good matches. And I think one of the big takeaways from this match is that, you know, the spoiler alert, because the ending's about to come up, ladies and gentlemen, Brett does the job for Booker T. Now imagine that conversation as well. That, you know, you, I'm assuming it's Eric Bischoff. And, and again, Brett was being paid millions, if I'm correct. But, you know, Brett, you're going to do a job for Booker T. But the jo- it looks great. Like, I love the ending because it, it all works out so well. And it made sense, I believe, in the storyline of where they were going. Winner gets a U.S. title shot from Scott Hall. So a uh, couple of notes on this. Booker T, again, he's the first thing that I wrote down. Should have been a bigger star and again, I, I realized he was WCW world's heavyweight champion. It was kind of in the dying days of WCW, but it, WWE should have brought him in. I would have made him champion. I, I just think you, you should have continued whatever momentum he had in uh, WCW and just pushed him along in, in the WWE. If I'm correct, the first matchup that he ever had was on Monday night raw against buff Bagwell. Marcus Alexander, and and he's a walking head case beyond, you know, in a, in a, a business full of people that are dysfunctional in head cases, Buff Bagwell is like right there. Like he's right at the very top of that. So you do not think in fact that Buff was the stuff. No, I, I, I truly dislike Buff Bagwell. A lot of, <laughs> <laughs> I really, I'm being really nice right now, Jeff. So I don't, you know, tell you what I, uh, I don't really go full out, but I've always felt he was a he's a blight on this business in a lot of ways as well and an embarrassment. And I think his actions, even to this day in his mid 50s, however old he is, he's still an embarrassment by showing up at either wrestling shows or autograph shows completely under the influence and DUIs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just an embarrassment. Are you saying he's like a low rent Scott Hall? 
Yeah, and and you know, to Scott Hall's credit, right? He's been off the radar for a bit. Scott Hall was a guy, yeah, that I was probably critical of. You know, I, I've always had how many chances do you give somebody until you say, you know, I'm just a little done with this. I've given you 10 chances. And when I say me, I just in general, but you know, it I realize recovery and it's a tough road. I get all that, but I, I think there is an obligation that you know, and and who's guilty, right? Is it the wrestler or is it the promoters that continue to book them? But if you book Buff Bagwell for a show and he shows up under the influence and he's an embarrassment, and yet there's a dozen stories out there about him, you know, whose fault is it then? Is it Buff Bagwell who we know has a, a drug or alcohol problem or is it the promoter who true books him? Like whose fault is it? So Scott Hall off our radar for a little bit. Happy to see that. And that's uh, a good thing. That, that it, we haven't heard from. It is a good thing because, uh, you know, Scott Hall and Scott Hall's a guy I was really critical of. But there's a story there. I mean, there's there's a lot of childhood trauma. There is adult trauma. Uh, it's all documented. And I'm not you know, I'm, I'm not a somebody that's going to overly feel sorry for somebody that's had multiple chances and keeps fucking it up. At the same time, you know, sometimes there are reasons that this shit occurs. And Scott Hall's story is uh it's deep. It, it's extremely deep. This is a very good match. This is, I think the only negative I have with this match is give it an additional five minutes and it's pay-per-view quality because there's no flaw with this match, right? Like there's no, there's no botches. Bret Hart, you know, still a ring general psych psychologically understands what to do when he gets in the ring. He's leading Booker T to a very good match with this. What I didn't like, I will tell you, I didn't like the segment with the Disco Inferno. Yes, There's I, no, I, I, it, I, it's it's really? so fucking stupid. It, it, honestly, right? So Jeff will talk about it, but there's a segment with Disco Inferno, which takes away from the match, which is pointless. Put this on during, you know, during a David. Well, let, let's let's before we get to what I got to say. Besides that, let's talk about the commentary for. I want to say about the first five minutes of the match. They literally don't talk about the match. They're talking about, I don't know, some upcoming angle with uh, the NWO or, uh, you know, I, I can't remember who it was, but it's like, uh, guys, do you know there's a uh, Bret Hart and Booker T in the ring and they're having a pretty good match? And no, they're talking about everything else. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, they're they're talking about. Uh, and they're, they don't really, or I missed it, but they don't appear to really even clarify what it is. But apparently there's some issue between David Flair and Ric Flair. And they're go I guess this was the heel turn of David Flair. And they're going to have some sort of mediation between them. And, they, and they're spending, the, you're, you're 100% correct, Jeff. Check. They're spending the first five minutes discussing the upcoming mediation between the Flairs instead of concentrating on a match where you've got a guy who was one of the biggest signings that year because you had basically taken him from the WWE. So that didn't make any sense. The big takeaway, and the Disco Inferno thing is terrible, the big takeaway here, Mike Tanay. Explain to me what happened with Mike Tanay. Explain to me why you've got a guy that is probably one of the best commentators or announcers in professional wrestling and he's just done. I know he went to Impact for a little while, and then that was it. I, I've heard he lives in Vegas, but it's like he completely fell off the radar. And Mike Tanay, as you know, Jeff, was a hardcore fan in the 1980s and 70s. This was a guy involved in tape trading, newsletters, etc. A guy who was a 
decades-long fan of professional wrestling, I still think light years ahead of a lot of other announcers that are out there, yet you never hear a word about Mike Tanay. That's that's a crime in my opinion. But back to the Mike point. Mike Tanay is the uh, announcer version of a former Hollywood blonde, Jerry Brown, a guy who literally left the business and like shut the door. And I think, uh, you know, last time we brought him up, I think we both like tried to reach out. Hey, where the hell is this guy? And it was basically like he didn't want anything to do with wrestling business, which is yeah. what happened with Jerry Brown. Yeah, it, it's, you know, and Jerry Brown, we should say, too. So Jerry Brown, since passed on, has passed away. And I, I, I remember when he was discovered, and I say discovered five years ago, six years ago, and he wound up doing a fan fest. It might have been yeah, in Charlotte. Charlotte, I, I saw him there, yeah. Oh, you were there for that yes. shit. That would have been huge. That would have been absolutely. And he was with Buddy Jack Roberts, right? Yeah, and Buddy had the uh, the throat cancer, so he was yeah. using the uh, the voice box. Very was Hump sad. with them then or no? Um. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if that was before Hump died or after. Uh, man, I can't remember that. That would have uh, been huge. That yeah. would have been huge. Yeah. Yeah, I would have, I should have given the opportunity at this time. I would have gotten in the car and started driving now. But you're right. Jerry Brown was a guy. And Jerry Brown was a guy also, as we often get sidetracked on Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, uh, was a guy that was a journeyman wrestler for years. And once his career with Buddy Roberts ended, the Hollywood Blondes, he he really wound up going back to that journeys. You know, he just middle of the card, maybe a little higher up in Kansas City. But for the most part, Jerry Brown, uh, you know, just a very solid worker, but missing that component to make him a, mega, a ma- major single star, but just really, really good. But I like this match. I would love to know where Mike Tanay is because I think he's great. This is a good choice. Who recommended this to us? Uh, I believe it was actually uh, Dax or Dax uh, from uh, from FTR had posted about it on Twitter or somebody that handles his account or maybe it's like a fake account. I don't know. But I saw that and I said, oh, let me check this match out. I've never heard about this match. And I watched it and I said, oh, this would be a good discussion, especially because we'd never done a Booker T match before. So a couple things. What the hell happened and how? I mean, I understand uh, WCW at this time frame, let's be honest. They signed Brett as a way of basically, uh, it was more taken away from your primary rival than adding something that you needed, okay? But you have a guy that is their main event, okay? This is not like getting a guy from TNA and your AEW or getting a guy even from ROH that's their big star. I mean, this is like a nationally known guy, okay? How bad? Did they fuck up getting Bret Hart? Oh, they, and it's, it's almost, you know, screwing the pooch would be a good yeah. way of putting it. You know, whenever you hear what a genius Eric Bischoff is, let, let the, just Bret ask him situation. Tell you. exactly. Or, or, or his blind minions that, that somehow think that he, you know, created the NWO and was responsible when all he had to do was watch Japanese videotapes to figure it out. But the Bret Hart thing, which really Jeff, you know, your, your mother who has, very limited knowledge of professional wrestling. I'm assuming any that she has has come from you. Well, probably could have done a better job with Bret Hart in WCW than Eric Bischoff did. He completely fucked that up. So you have this guy that is this national star, okay, an absolute hero in Canada, okay? And let's be honest, there's nothing wrong with this match. You're right. But Bret Hart former WWE champion for a pretty good deal of amount, uh, amount of time is wrestling for the right to wrestle for the uh, U S title. Like what the fuck? 
How is Bret Hart wrestling just for the opportunity? And all credit to him for coming in, doing the job, giving a little bit of rub to Booker T, okay? But really, that's what you you brought this guy in to do? So you know that Bischoff, he wasn't just doing this on his own. He had various and sundry people in his ear. I'm not going to mention <coughs> Kevin Nash uh, and <coughs> Hulk Hogan in his ear. But uh, so you get this guy that you obviously, let's put it this way. If you decided, I'm not going to fucking use Brett in the U.S., I'm just going to be a douchebag and not use him in the air. But you've literally got the entire country of Canada available to you to make this guy a national act and and just, you know, continue what he was, you know, have him go out there, fucking cut a promo on Shawn Michaels if he wants to, but have him like wrestle Hulk Hogan, have him fucking defeat Hulk Hogan in Canada, have him defeat Kevin Nash. Have him defeat Scott Hall. Have him defeat fucking everybody because he's a national fucking hero. But instead, let's have him wrestle for the right to get a match for the United States. That makes no fucking sense to me whatsoever. Well, no, it, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's horrible booking. And that's, and that's not me shitting on Booker T. Okay, no. that's me shitting on the front office of WCW, which eh, they were out of business in two years. So, you know, I really don't need to do that. You know, all credit again to Brett for giving the rub to Booker T, who, yes. as we can see in this match, Obviously deserved that he put on a good match. He, you know, you're right. Brett led him through the match, but Booker, you know, was was falling along and, and did Absolutely. a great job. Yeah. Got the got the win over a national star, which obviously gave him some sort of rub. Booker, you know, this is not a case of uh, I saw someone talking the other day about uh, Savannah Jack online. Okay, Booker T was not Savannah Jack. Booker T was a guy that had fucking talent. Okay, did somebody and, really make that comparison? No, 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 no. They were just oh, okay. They, they, they <laughs> What ha- somebody was asking, uh, what happened to Savannah Jack and why did he suddenly drop out of uh, wrestling? And and uh, it was the the question was answered, but it just brought the name of Savannah Jack, who I hadn't fucking thought about in 30 years back, you know. Because let's be honest, there were guys back in the 80s who were used uh, in a particular role, okay. And I don't think I'm uh, really telling tales out of school here. We had guys who were uh, that were black or uh, Asian who were put into a role and said, this is your role. And whether it was a step and fetch it character uh, or whether it was like, uh, you know, okay, you're going to be, you know, like Kijimudo, really let's make him like a, a ninja. No, instead of him just being fucking Kijimudo, but Booker T was not Booker T was made into a guy that was a wrestler who was a fucking strong man, uh, a badass, And it worked. He would, he did a great job and you're right. Booker T probably should have been put when the, he, the WWE, uh, got him up there. He definitely deserved a, a more important role. And, you know, what to me, and I'll be honest, I, I've said it before, I'm not a guy that, you know, followed the WWE religiously. I did follow it at a time. When you say Booker T and the WWE, what's the one thing people are going to remember Booker T for during his run in the WWE? What do you think? Uh, it's one of two things. It's either King Booker, where he won the King of the Ring and then talked in a bizarre accent that was designed i believe to either make fun of him or it was designed it was completely ridiculous and i don't i don't understand but it was uh if you ever heard it jeff it's a you should youtube this after because it's embarrassing to hear it but he had a supermarket fight with stone cold that's Steve the Austin. one i was for yeah yes which by the way was entertaining as hell yeah it was fun right and yeah no, no it, that was that was a fun thing but it's not like you remember him. Oh yeah, that guy had a fucking one year run with the title, and he had terrific matches. 
And uh, wow, man, uh, it was it was a good move by the company. No, you remember the fact that he had this uh, you know bizarre fucking accent as King Booker, or you remember him fighting in a grocery store with Steve Austin. That's the legacy. I'm sorry, as far as I think most people have one of those two things about Booker T, which is not a good way for them to remember a guy that had a lot of talent. That was my point. Yeah, well, and you're right too. And it's again, we're if you Barry, ask me, would you say that I'd be 100 right? I wasn't going to do it twice nah. within a match review, but we certainly could. But it it really is ridiculous. So they they really did drop the ball. And look, with WCW, for all the shit we just gave Eric Bischoff and, and all of it's deserved and, and the hierarchy and the uh, decision makers of WCW, what a clusterfuck. They did book Booker a lot better than, than WWE ever did. No, that and that's fair. Uh, for as much as they screwed uh, the the push and the promotion of Bret Hart. They did a good job, Booker T, and we have to give them credit for that. Yeah. Barry, we always love a good Florida man or not story. Oh, Jeff, I, I sit on my couch. It's my black fake leather couch in my apartment in Plymouth meeting PA. And I always go, you know, it's great about those leather couches, Barry is afterwards. Easy to clean, easy to clean. My friend, let me ask you a question. Is it easy peasy, fresh and breezy? Go ahead. As a dog owner, did you learn the valuable lesson as I did that when you buy a car and you have a dog, never buy cloth seats? Uh, you mean the cloth seats that I currently have in my car now? <laughs> <laughs> so you have not learned this valuable lesson. Uh, we, we put either the, the sheets uh, down or okay. we take the dogs to the groomers or uh, afterwards it's time to go to the old uh, car wash so we can spend 30 minutes trying to get that shit off the, uh, the seats. No, I did not learn. Oh man, so. it's, it's almost impossible to get that shit off. And I, this past weekend, the Philly area was hit with below, you know, it was like eight degrees. I think today is um, Tuesday. It was Sunday. It was eight degrees out in the morning. But I took Ozzy. I, I drove him to the park so he could get some exercise. Brutal outside. We had had some snow. We had had some rain. And uh, he got in my car. Thank God it's all leather. You know, because I've had previously, I've had cloth seats in a car. It's all leather. So I'm just able to wipe it up, which is what made, made, you, made me think about that when you were talking about that. But so, so what you do currently, you put down sheets or blankets yes, or something? Yes. Smart. Yes. So, yeah. so did Ozzy have a good frolic in the snow? He did. Ozzy, you know, it's it's weird. It's like I get outside and I we're I've getting to the Florida man segment, folks. I promise. Go we'll ahead. get there at some point. I've got on a jacket, a sweatshirt. I've got gloves. I have a hat. I'm still cold. Ozzy's just out there. He doesn't give a shit, right? He still wants to chase squirrels and do whatever. He doesn't well, care. in all fairness, uh, here in the northern Georgia area, we did get uh, I want to say about three inches of snow, which I know uh, all you people up in the north are poo pooing, but uh, for the Georgia area, that's a lot of snow. And we called it uh, jokingly snowmageddon because uh, we went out grocery shopping uh, the night before the snow was forecast. And it was like South Florida before the Cat 4 was fixing to hit. I mean, the shelves were completely wiped out. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, uh, and I'm not talking about yours. I'm talking about like, there were no fucking crackers. There was like no Ritz crackers, no saltines. <laughs> I'm like, hey, what the fuck? People are like, oh, my God, I'm going to be in my house for two fucking days. I got to have me some Ritz fucking crackers. We got to get Ritz crackers as a sponsor now that I uh, brought that up. So, Barry, let's get to our Florida man or not segment. The headline. <clears throat> are you ready, Mr. Rose? I'll bring it on. OK. Man steals insomnia and erectile dysfunctional medications. Huh? That's the headline. The story goes. Man has been charged with theft after fleeing a pharmacy with medicines to treat insomnia and erectile dysfunctions. 
36-year-old Mark Shutta ran from the store after he learned his health insurance would not cover the cost of the drugs, alleged in court documents. The documents state that Shutta approached the pharmacy counter when he was told that his insurance did not give him a discount for his prescribed erectile dysfunction medication and that he would instead need to pay $369.39. Very specific amount, by the way. Shutter then snatched both prescriptions from the pharmacist, abandoned his shopping cart, which may have been filled with rich crackers, I don't know, Barry, with groceries, fled the store on foot beyond all available cash registers without paying for the items. Now it gets better, Barry. The store was willing, and this is very nice, and was willing to forego criminal charges if he returned the medication, but police said he did not engage the process, and even when the police had called him twice, to say, come on in, just bring this shit back. No. The officer then told Shutter via text message using a county cell phone that he had until the next day's business to do the right thing and bring the medication back to the store and at most face a trespass notice. Notice it will appear, meaning you're not going to get booked into custody. It's like getting a traffic ticket. He did not. He just demonstrated a willful and deliberate action to avoid the responsibility of bringing items back that he stole without charges being pressed. Guess what, Barry? He was later arrested and is now awaiting trial. Uh, by the way, uh, reports also show that uh, he's unemployed and lives with his mom. <laughs> so I think it's a great little addendum to the story. So, Barry, I ask you, Florida man or not? <sighs> Jeff, have you ever, before I answer that? Oh, Julie, no, here's the question. You know which one. You know what the question is, right? What, what, what are you going to ask me? Which I think you already know the way that you're. <laughs> what are you going to ask me now that I'm 60 fucking years old? Go ahead. That's it. You knew what I was going to ask. Look at you. We're on, we're like an old married couple at this stage, Jeff. I think of it and you're already, you already have the answer. So, so the, okay. I, for the, for those well, that well, don't that know what the stammering. question is. Yeah. Well, because I, I, by the way, you know, the question's coming back at you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. So Jeff, the, this is, Begging to be asked, have you ever taken any form of medicine for erectile dysfunction? I will only say this. <laughs> I have never been prescribed ah. medication for that. However, I will admit that, uh, well, let's just say the doctor, uh, not not currently, but in the past, uh, uh, was uh, perhaps uh, saying, uh, free samples uh, the representative had. Would you like to try them? At which point I said, oh, what the fuck? I'll take it. But no, I've never been prescribed the medication. Have I ever taken one that was given to me as a uh, basically a free handout? Yes. And uh, to see what would happen. And so and part two. And uh, I will say <laughs> that uh, there was uh, there was not like massive enhancement. There was a somewhat enhancement. All right. Now, Barry uh, Reginald Rose. I don't know if that's your middle name. That'd be middle? funny if it was though. It's Alan. Alan. Okay. Is yeah, yeah of course. You know who Reginald Rose is. Reggie Rose. No. Reginald Rose was the guy that wrote "Hello, Twelve Angry Men." But anyway, I digress. Oh, I didn't know that. All right. Yes. So Barry Allen Rose, B A R. Have you ever taken or been prescribed any erectile dysfunctional medication? So the answer is no with both. How Lion fucker? Go ahead. Ever. <laughs> Well, I'm going to bring Lou on to lie next also. So <laughs> I, I think that's a good idea. So he can also lie. I ha Well, but I haven't, Jeff, but I am thinking about it because mm. I do find myself these days. Getting much, worn out, right? 
and much more active. And at 58 years old, I, again, I'm not 25 anymore where, you know, so I am thinking that maybe because physically I feel that I still have this stamina to go. However, I don't know if certain body parts can keep up with that stamina. So I am giving this some thought. I think you can do this online now, if I'm correct. So I don't have to go, go to- through your Canadian pharmacist. That's what I've heard. That is- all right. That's what I, I got to tell you. That shit is fucking expensive. Oh, is it really expensive? Yeah. As we talked about in the story, if you don't have the uh, insurance uh, for this kind of shit, it's pretty fucking expensive to get that much. Car. Wow. Yeah. Sweet Lou, join us. Sweet Lou for a uh, uh, Lou. conversation. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> so Lewis John Kippelman. What is your middle name, uh, Lewis? <laughs> it's a uh, redacted due to security issues. Uh, oh, okay, but, okay. So just Lewis But I, I, then, uh, I would like to point out there, Barry Allen Rose. What, I didn't know we'd been doing a show with The Flash for four years. There you go. Yeah, pretty cool, yeah. huh? Which yeah. edition of The Flash? Well, we're the, the original. I'm going with the original, yes. Yeah, so uh, I'm coming. I, humana, humana. I, humana, yes, humana, humana, humana. I, I, was kind of in the same boat as as you, Jeff. I happened to get a little uh, door prize from my doctor. Yes, and Mrs. Kippelman got the the surprise afterward. <laughs> yes. So yeah. So all right. Good yeah. times. Indeed. Thank you, Lou. So, but I want a full review of this shit. Oh, okay. was, Lou, does it? Is there a difference with Jeff? It was a moderate difference. Notice something, but wasn't earth shattering. From your perspective, did you notice a big difference or was it just a little something? I would say uh, more than a little something. There was right. um, satisfaction guaranteed. So, oh. wow. All right. I like All it. Right. All right. I'm making a call. That's it. Okay. Done. So yeah. now let's get back to what, boy, we've really gone off the fucking rails. We on have. This Florida Man oh, that's right. Segment, which is uh, supposed to be originally like two minutes. But so, Barry, erectile dysfunction, theft, Florida man or not. It's almost like the entire country's become Florida at this point, too, right? I, I'm going to say not Florida, but certainly could have been. Bethesda, Maryland, Barry. Wow. Well, yes, indeed. Bethesda, where, by the way, well, I'll just say the Bowdrens used to live there when I was a young lad of God, like maybe three or four. Uh, you know, because, of course, dad being in the Navy, we moved yep. around quite a bit. And dad, in fact, was stationed at Bethesda, Maryland, uh, where my dad was uh, probably in his uh, mid 30s. So probably no need for the erectile dysfunction of medicine. Thank you very kindly. Barry, I know you love, as well as I do, a good movie discussion. Is that true? Boy, do I love movie discussions, Jeff. OK, so, Barry, let me ask you, are you a fan of the genre of vampire movies? I am a fan. Absolutely. Well, isn't that timely and topical? Because I present to you the best vampire movies oh. of all time, as selected by our friends at Esquire Magazine. Very highbrow, Barry. Esquire Magazine, yes. Yeah, so it scares are you me a little bit. It scares me a little bit that you're going <laughs> so highbrow with that, but yes. All right, I am so ready. We're going to talk about our favorite vampire movies. Now, let me just ask you if you were to say, what is your favorite vampire movie of all time? Without giving it away, do you have it in your head? Yes, 100%. Okay, so let's talk about this. And when we get to it, if we get to it, you can say, yep, that's it. So I'm going to tell you one. 
And it's funny, the one at, at uh, the first one they mentioned on the list, uh, we're going more than a top 10 here, by the way, just for uh, the sake of discussion. This is a movie that, you know, because my daughter is a huge, she and her husband, big horror movie fans, okay? And so I said, what's a good horror movie to you? And uh, I mentioned this particular film, which she hated. I loved this movie. Barry, did you ever see 30 Days of Night? Oh, my God, did I love 30 Days of Night. I thought 30 Days of Night. First off, why did it take, I don't know, 100 years of filmmaking before somebody came up with the idea of a place that is night for 30 days? Like in Alaska and I guess parts of Russia or wherever it is. I thought the concept was great. I loved, first off, the vampires. These aren't traditional vampires. They're super fast moving. They're vicious. Yes. They're, uh, they're almost... Danny, Danny Houston was the leader. He's fantastic. Yeah, Danny he's Houston was great. fantastic in this. Excellent movie. Excellent movie. I, I don't know why my daughter was not a fan why? of this. But what was I, the reasoning? Any ideas? You know, it's sometimes, you know, a movie just doesn't resonate with you and, you know, whatever. So uh, from 1988, Nicolas Cage, Vampire's Kiss. Did not like Vampire's Kiss. And a lot of it was, it, to me, it was less of a vampire movie and it was more a Nicolas Cage vehicle. Did not like it at all. That being said, Jeff, as we've discussed about the, the young lady that I've been dating on a recent episode, we watched for the first time, she had never seen it, Raising Arizona oh, the other night. Oh, and what did she think? Laughed her ass off. Loved it. Hi, I'm Baron. <laughs> Just, that, is, that is like one of the all-time most quotable movies. Just, you know, H.I. H.I., such a good but, movie. Yeah, such a okay. Next, 1992, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I like it. It it's cute. It's uh, again. It's, did you see the TV series? I did. I and I actually think the TV series in some ways was actually better. I didn't. I thought uh, was Sarah Michelle Gellar. Gellar yeah, and and yeah. I think it was Christy Swanson in the movie. Yeah, and uh, it, Christy though she was fine. Christy Swanson. I just I think I actually liked the TV show. I liked the movie. But it, it's not a to me, it's not a vampire movie in a sense, but I, it's a lot of fun. But I, I still like it. Yeah. OK, next up, uh, have you ever seen and I know you're a fan of the old school gothic uh, Dracula and vampire movies. 1974's Blood for Dracula. I have not seen this one. Is that Christopher Lee or Peter Cushing? Nope. Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. I never saw that one. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let's see. I'm trying to see. A cameo by Roman Polanski. Uh, let's see. Now, here's one a little bit controversial because this uh, apparently is now on Netflix and it's more of a comedy. Have you seen What We Do in the Shadows? <sighs> have you ever seen this show? I have not. So this this is I was going to post this in our Facebook group. And Jeff, as we like to say, if you're listening to the show and you're not a member of our Facebook, Jeff, what why are we aren't you? Why aren't you? What's the reason there? What's the matter with you? Yeah, the, 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 this is the Facebook group is an extension of what we do in the show. So somebody recommended to me, and I don't believe it was in our group. I don't believe anybody said a word about this show. And they said, yeah, you would probably like it. You should try it. I watched the one episode. I'm assuming it was the first episode. And I couldn't believe how much I disliked the show, like how really? bad I thought the show was. And I walked away. I have not seen any more than the first episode. Okay. Next, from 2000, it's the movie Shadow of the Vampire. Here's what's interesting. The, the vampire is played by Willem Dafoe, 
And it's based on the story of the movie Nosferatu, which came out like in the 1920s. And and the storyline is that the guy that is playing in the movie Nosferatu is actually a vampire. That's like the storyline of the the movie Shadow of the Vampire. Have you ever seen it? I have. So I I forgot what the name was. And when you're saying that, I was almost ready to say, that's amazing because Willem Dafoe played Nosferatu in a movie, which means he's done it twice. He's played a vampire. It's the same movie, obviously. William Dafoe. Great actor. Oh, underappreciated. Uh, I don't think he gives a shit because he takes these very small, boutique, unique roles that don't get him a lot of publicity. But Willem Dafoe couldn't be bad in a movie, even if he tried. He's that good of an actor. That's an excellent movie. And Willem Dafoe makes that movie as well. Yeah. Tremendous actor. Uh, Now, this one should be right up your uh, alley. 1967's The Fearless Vampire Killers with the aforementioned Christopher Lee, I believe. Yeah, I think that's a Hammer film, and that's uh, so Sharon Tate is in this movie, Barry. Sharon, that's right. Was this so? So this might have been the movie where Polanski either right? met her or he maybe uh, you know uh, assigned his wife the role uh, in the movie uh, before her untimely death, of course. Yeah. So so there's you know you've got in my opinion you've got two different types of vampire movies. You've got the American, you've got the British version. The British versions were usually uh, put out by Hammer. So they, you know, there was this whole genre of horror films in the 60s and 70s, the Hammer films, Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, John Carradine was in a lot of these movies. They are good British films, especially the horror films tend to move a lot slower than American films do. There's there's very much a gothic element. To yes. Yeah. It's very it's it's about the attitude, it's about uh it's gothic. It's what's taking place. But a lot of times the storylines and the plots move at a, a much slower pace than we're used to over here. Still good movies. Some people live and die by those movies. I like them. I don't know if I completely love them, though. So from next, from 1998, it says you're often unrecognized as the first successful Marvel Entertainment production. It's Wesley Snipes as Blade. Fantastic. I yeah, just, I really I, like this movie. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I know that he made a couple of them, and I, I think I saw the first two. The first time I saw Blade, I didn't know what to expect. And I was like, wow, this is really fun. Like, I had fun watching it, right? Yeah. Really, really good movie. Like it a lot. And I want to say there is a scene at the very beginning of the movie. Is Tracy Lords not part of that first scene in the movie? I believe I know exactly what you're talking about, and I believe Tracy Lord's in a non-naked type of role. She was a serious actor or actress, people. Uh, And also, you know, you said there were some uh, sequels. Was Triple H in like a a walk-on part in one of the sequels too, I believe? I think there was a wrestling. I don't know if it was, was it Triple H? You would probably know that, but Uh, I'm not sure, but I I seem to recall him having like a, it was like on camera, but it was like, you know, not maybe not even a speaking part. So right. next, Barry, uh, from 2009. Now, this is, oh, we love the films from Korea. Have you seen Thirst? Oh, I don't it's know. It's a great if I title have. for a movie. Oh, it's not, that's amazing. No, I don't know if I have. What year was that? Uh, it is 2009. So here's the great plot summary. After a botched vaccination experiment, a Catholic priest becomes a vampire. Ooh, conflict. Oh, but blood isn't the only thing. Down. But blood is not the only thing he lusts after. He can he reconnects with a childhood friend and meets the man's beautiful wife. Oh boy, I'm gonna have to write this one down too, Barry. Thirst. Yeah. 
So, a future oh, review coming. Yes. Uh, breaking kayfabe from both of us. So yes. reach out to us if you want to do a review, people. Yep. So next, Barry. Now, here's another one I've seen. This, very, very underrated, okay? Number 11, it's 1987's Near Dark. Have you ever seen okay. that? Absolutely. Bill Paxton, Jenny Wright, Adrian Pazdar, Lance, the fucking great Lance Henriksen. Henriksen yeah. Oh, my God. Fantastic. First time I ever saw it. Blown away by the concept of what this was. What, what you know, so many, so many vampire movies where there was the similarity to it. Near Dark was one that completely just it didn't follow any script, was unlike anything I had seen before. Fantastic movie. And I think watched it within the last year, year and a half. Yeah, yeah. love it. Uh, movie directed by Catherine Bigelow, who I want to say won an Academy Award as Best Director for uh what's the uh the movie that's set like in the middle east where it's about the guys in the army that defused a bomb yes yes and she uh she won the academy award for best director so this was a very early in her career it's about a group of modern day vampires who travel the american west in an rv yeah <laughs> and that sounds ridiculous but trust us it's a really really good movie so uh let's see next uh have not heard of this one barry at number 10 we're now in the top 10 only right. lovers left alive from 2013, I'm guessing this is a, uh, a British production because it has a Tom Hiddleston who plays, uh, what's the guy in the Thor movies, uh, Thor's brother? Loki. Loki. And also uh, Tilda Swinton, who's like a really good like Shakespearean level actress. Uh, I have not seen that one. Have you? I have, I've never even heard of it now. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Uh, number nine. Ooh, Barry, when you talk about classic 80s cinema that, you know, "Quote unquote, eighty cinema, the Lost Boys." Absolutely. Look, Lost Boys is for a lot of people. They're going to Kiefer, Kiefer, Jamie Gertz, the Corys, Diane Weist, Edward Jason Herman. Patrick. Yeah, just but a, a good movie, a lot of fun. Jason Patrick breakthrough role here. Yes. Why this guy never became a star? Because I'm he not made really Speed sure. Two. That's why. That's, <laughs> you know what else happened to him? I hate to say this too. Being a bald guy, he lost his hair. Yes. Yes. And follically right, challenged. Follically challenged. And if you remember, there was the whole. He looked almost identical to uh, to Jim Morrison. Yeah. And uh, and you know who his grandfather was, right? Uh, the great one was his grandfather, Jackie Gleason. Oh, I thought you were saying The Rock. <laughs> the Rock. <laughs> if you smell No, it was uh, Jackie Gleason was his grandfather. I did not know that. That's you sounds- know who his father was? No. His, his father was the priest in The Exorcist. Jason Miller. Yes, that was his father. Wow. That's quite yeah. the lineage there yeah. from Hollywood. So, yeah, very interesting. And I believe he was in a... Uh, a long-term relationship with a lovely uh, young woman named Julia Roberts for a while. You know that story. Yeah. So she was engaged to Kiefer Sutherland. They all made that movie together about where you die and come back to life. I forget. Yes. What yeah. And, and she hooked up with him during, and they were engaged to Kiefer. They were, they were engaged. They broke up and she wound up with Jason Patrick and that little trollop. Yeah. She was hot though. Wasn't she? <laughs> Number eight from 1983, Catherine Deneuve. I just like saying that name, Catherine Deneuve. It's The Hunger. Yeah, so, well, David Bowie. Yes. So, so that right the there. The Thin White Duke. Makes it a winner. Yeah. Not the greatest vampire movie. I don't love it, but again, David Bowie's in it, so I like it, of course. 
Now, from 1979, it's the other Nosferatu movie, Nosferatu the Vampire with Klaus Kinski. Absolutely. You talk about your quirky actors, Barry, Klaus Kinski. Klaus Kinski, and we we discussed we discussed uh, Fitzcarraldo. Yes, and uh, I love that movie. Yeah, we discussed that, and you know, just and then there's a documentary about the making yes. of Fitzcarraldo. Klaus Kinski was not a great human being. There are stories that came out after his death that just he, he wasn't a great guy, but as an actor, he could be. I think one of the great actors of all time that a lot of people don't know about didn't have a great impact in the U S most of his big films came from other countries. And he had this relationship with Werner Herzog, who was the director of Fitzcarraldo, which is that's the basis of the documentary, which is equally as good as the film. Was it the, um, uh, the wrath of God? Was that the name of the, the documentary? Like, I'm sure I'm going to pronounce this. I don't know if, I don't think that was the documentary, but he was starred in that movie and it's, is it a Gire or a Guire? Yeah, that's what it's. A, it's a Gire, the wrath of God. That's the yes. name of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but what Klaus Kinski also had this unique facial structure. Yes. That he, he didn't have to even say anything. Right. Interesting looking guy to be very kind. And, yeah. and, you know, not like that he was ugly. He just had a very distinctive look to him. He looked like a fucking vampire though. Right. Like he really did look like one great actor, great movie. He is. I, the similarities in a lot of ways from an acting standpoint between he and William De, Willem Dafoe are really, there's a lot of parallels. Willem Dafoe, I think, is a good guy from all I've read, but the parallels there are absolutely the similar. Excellent movie, the, that, that Nosferatu. Creepy as fuck, by the way. Black and white, am I correct? Black and yes. white? So, yeah. Barry, I know that you were a well-rounded a cinephile. I think that's the first time we've ever used the word cinephile on this fine podcast. But I'm going to guess that this is one you've not seen. It is a movie called A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night from 2014. Why do I think Barry Rose has not seen this movie? Go ahead, Barry. Ask me why. Jeff, why do you think I have not seen this movie? Because it is described as, quote, the first Iranian vampire Western. That's quite the combination. Wow. So uh, she plays, uh, let's see, uh, Sheila Vand, V-A-N-D. Stars as the unnamed girl who roams around a small Iranian ghost town stalking its lonely residents. Now, I, and I've never even heard of it. My guess, too, everything that we read about Iran, <laughs> this movie didn't make it out. The stars are nowhere to be found there. <laughs> they, may, they may or may not be dead. That's yes, they say. may or may not. Yes. 1993, Barry, have you ever seen Kronos? Not not the guy that was in the sure I have. I saw Kronos in the movie theaters. Really? Kronos, okay. if I'm correct, I saw it. I, Jeff, I'll tell this story because I've nope. told this before. And, and Server or manager? <laughs> Wait, hold on. First reference in the new year to server or manager. Thank you. Uh, so I saw it in the theater where I saw Mary Stuart Masterson. Remember I've told you that story before? Uh, yes, I remember She had a yeah. big crush on her, and I always remembered that. So I saw Kronos. I believe the first film that was released in this country from Guillermo del Toro Correct. and stars uh, Ron Perlman, the great Ron Perlman, who wound up working with del Toro in the two Hellboy movies as well. Saw Kronos. Fantastic. Loved it. Absolutely. Big thumbs okay. up. So now, Barry, as we get into the top four, let me just ask you, has the movie that you're thinking of been mentioned yet? It hasn't. So I have two. 
One is a clear winner, and then the other one's a very clear runner-up that I also love. Neither of the two films that are my favorites have been mentioned thus far. Okay, so as we start the top four, my all-time favorite vampire movie comes in at number four, and we have actually discussed this movie on this uh, show. My daughter told me that she has seen the Americanized version of Let the Right One In, from 2008, I believe the American version is a Let Me In or something like that. It's about a young boy who leads a very lonely life in Stockholm, Sweden with his mom. He's uh, he's the target of all the bullies. And he then uh, meets a young girl named, uh, I don't know if it's Eli or Ely, and they begin their friendship. And all of a sudden, yeah, he begins to realize that uh, <laughs> some of his problems are going away courtesy of this new girl that he meets. Have you ever seen the uh, the European version of this movie, Bear? I don't believe so, no. Yeah, this... Sounds interesting. Go I ahead. will tell you, what, whatever movie it is that we mentioned before, like the uh, Korean movie that you said you wanted to check out, this movie... Did you see the Americanized version? I did. That You and I did discuss that, so yeah. that I had seen. Yeah. Yeah. Let the Right One In from 2008 is fantastic. And don't let me hear this bullshit about no subtitles. I don't like listening to looking at subtitles. It's fucking fantastic. It's awesome. moody as shit. And you will like it. Now we're getting into Barry Rose territory. Oh, Barry, I'm sure the one that you're talking about is Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Interview with a vampire. Hated it. So I saw it in 1994. Hated it. Hated Thank it. you, Antoine. Hated it. Living color, right? Hated it. Two snaps, right? Two snaps. <laughs> bitch. Formation. That is the first time we've ever referenced that show, by the way. Oh, that was a great show. Yeah, it was. Yeah, absolutely. We're great. Still funny in reruns. I um, bet you they couldn't do that show or that episode anymore. Oh, I bet they couldn't do 50% of that show yeah, these days. Right. So didn't like it. Didn't like I felt it was a superficial Hollywood film. I didn't like that gothic setting. Tom Cruise, obviously not a fan. That was, uh, what's her name? Kirsten Dunst? It was it was her debut performance, and she was probably the best part of the movie. She was. I just, I hated them. I didn't like the movie. I, yeah, didn't like the movie at all. She was very good, though. I'll give you that, yes. Okay. Brad Pitt also? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, number two, I'm going to guess that what your choice is is probably one of these two, and I'm guessing it's not this one. Number two, Bram Stoker's Dracula with Gary Oldman. So first off, big disappointment because my two favorites, maybe my one is number one, and I have a feeling I know which one that is, but then the one that I really like has not been mentioned, and I'll bring that up. This is a good movie. I don't love the movie per se. Gary Oldman, though, I would say that was one of the great acting jobs. He, he's tremendous. Oh, oh, yeah, my God. He's carries the movie, but I didn't I, the movie with with somebody else in that role. I would absolutely hated the film. He make he's the movie. That's all I, it is. I, I will tell you, I like Keanu Reeves. OK, I love him. in right. John Wick. I like I haven't seen yes. the new uh, what do you call uh, uh, Matrix movie? I've heard it's kind of a disappointment, uh, but I loved him in the original Matrix. I don't hate Keanu Reeves. I, I really like him as John Wick. But he was not right for this role. No, uh, as you know, and uh, but it's like one of these things where you can hate parts of the movie, but Gary Oldman is so good that it almost makes me want to recommend the movie just because of how great Gary Oldman was. And that's and that's 100 percent. And you're right about Keanu. So Keanu to me, I and I love Keanu Reeves, but he's a guy you've got to cast correctly. Well, he was a dangerous liaisons he was in. No. Uh, 
Remember that film he did? It was like the Victorian setting. That's what I want to say. It was, I don't know what the film was, but it, it, he was so miscast in this role. And it was obvious because it's Keanu Reeves. They put his name up on the marquee. It sells tickets, et cetera. He's great in Speed. He's great in Bill and Ted's. He's great in Point Break. The John Wick movies are fantastic, but there were some real key casting errors, and this would be one of them with him. This is Gary Oldman, and if you're not, I mean, Gary Oldman in fucking The Professional, right? I mean, my yeah. God, he's tremendous. Great actor. And as, as Commissioner Gordon in the Batman movies. And yeah. married to him with Thurman at one point. Yeah, so. There you go. He's got that going for him, too. Yes. I will just mention one other Keanu Reeves movie that I enjoyed. Because I, I, I'm going to break kayfabe here. Not a huge fan of the Bill and Ted movies. Hate me if you want. Just didn't like them. I, I, no, I wouldn't even say that. It wasn't that I didn't like them. I just didn't like get into them as much as a lot of other people did. I enjoyed them for what they were. But it wasn't like, oh, my God, this is a life-altering experience. You know, uh, Barry Rose may have recently had a life-altering experience that we've recently discussed. But that's another story. So... Uh, the uh, one movie that we did not mention that I really liked, I really liked uh, Keanu Reeves in uh, Parenthood with like Steve Martin and perfect bars. Yeah, he was, you know, perfectly kind of the, cast the good, Best. you know, good, goofy kid in that. And that's when he was still very young. It was like 1987, 88 when that came out. He, so, was, uh, number, he was the boyfriend of Martha Plimpton, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Number one, Barry, the number one vampire movie of all <sighs> time, Barry Rose. First of all, tell us the one that you think is not on here. So the movie that I think did not make the list would be Fright Night. And shout out to my boy Craig Halleck, because Craig Halleck fucking loved Fright Night. I remember he used to talk about that movie. Such a good movie. It's my second favorite vampire movie. Chris Sarandon did a great job. William Ragsdale, Amanda Beers. Roddy McDowell in that movie. Roddy McDowell. So Roddy McDowell playing that Svengooly character. Yes. That, you know, the horror movie host. And and it turns out there really is a vampire. It well directed, great acting, great pacing in the movie. And there's a couple of scenes that are fairly tense where you go, wow. But it, the movie also never crosses the line. It's never overly graphic. It might even be PG-13. It's not even an R movie. Well-made. Love it. Second favorite vampire movie of all time. My fingers are crossed right now about number one. And if it's not number one, Esquire should hang their heads in shame. It's got to be that, that, that film. Satanica Pandemonium. <laughs> and if you don't know who that is, I can't help you. Because holy shit, Selma Hayek. Uh, in 1996 is from Dust Till Dawn, shows up literally for five minutes in the movie. And it is one of the truly most amazing cameos that you will ever see if you are a red-blooded heterosexual male. And if you're not, it may get you to switch teams. It's that good. It is that good. And, and I should say, I have watched that with females who will also sit there completely med- heterosexual females that will sit there completely mesmerized by that scene. That is, I truly believe that is one of the great scenes of any movie I have ever seen from start to finish when that happens. And I remember the first time I showed this film to Zach, because that's where everything switches during that scene. And the movie completely takes a left turn. He loves from dusk till dawn. He sat there. He went through a bottle of Jergens and a roll of paper towels that night. <laughs> <laughs> after after watching that and film, like, Zach, 
Zach's on. I need to talk yes. to you. Not now, Dad. Yeah. Sorry. Can't do it. He came out and his voice was suddenly, oh, hello, Dad. How are you? Yeah, exactly. The, the life changing from boy to man occurred with From Dust Till Dawn. Yes. He, now, I will only offer one caveat. I love this movie. Okay. Yes. And, and of course, the, the scene is just fantastic. But the only caveat that I will say about the greatness of this film. It's really not a vampire movie till about 20, maybe 30 minutes left in the movie. Because before that, it's a heist film. And they happen to stumble into, trust me, the very worst bar they could have chosen. Or the best bar they, they well, could have. <laughs> right. the, the what a way to go. <laughs> what a way to go. Yeah, so maybe there's not enough, but I, I like a lot. I, first off, Quentin Tarantino who a uh, good friend of Robert Rodriguez, who's the director of this film, Quentin Tarantino does a great job. Tarantino a, wrote the script, by the way. And, and just, but as an actor too, right. Does a great job. George Clooney, who's a guy that I've never, I never cared too much. Fucking unbelievable. Juliette Lewis, Harvey Keitel. Hey, Harvey, Harvey Keitel completely against type in this complete movie. plays a, a preacher, a minister, a, 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 a very deacon. mild mannered, Preacher who gets pushed around and very, you know, like uh, nebbish, you know, like just, you know, leave me alone. Almost, you know, like almost. Yeah. He's almost like a Woody Allen, like that kind of passive, you know. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a a crazy good movie that is uh, definitely, you know, it mentions here that it's a cult film and oh, holy shit, is it a cult film? Uh, they arrive at the uh, uh, the aforementioned Titty Twister, uh, Barry. Yes. Uh, which is one of the all time great strip club names. And Cheech and Marin and Cheech, Cheech Marin, Marin like the door. He's yeah. three different parts in this movie. Yep. And, and can you uh, can you uh, recite Cheech's uh, lines as he's standing outside the club trying to get people to come in? Oh, I can't. We got uh, who's it? We got young pussy. We got old pussy. <laughs> and it's like we got we got hairy pussy. We got <laughs> smelly pussy. <laughs> I mean, he goes through the entire montage. With the and it is fucking hilarious. And but there again, it's like you go from a bank robbery that's really hardcore, and you get there, and you're like, "Well, what?" This suddenly fucking become a comedy because the scene is so funny. Then they go in there, and some of the Fred Williamson is inside the bar. Fred Williamson, Danny you know? Trejo, yeah, Danny you know? Trejo playing the bartender, yeah, uh, and, and then. Cheech plays another character inside yeah. the bar. Uh, op it's a different character than the guy that's outside. And, you know, it's just, it's a crazy, and, you know, I, I will say my wife would probably hit the nail on the head because this is something she would probably say is, this is definitely a Tarantino movie. She would mean that yes. in a not-so-good way. You and I would mean that in an absolutely good way. We would. I want to give a couple of shout-outs, too. Uh, I should say also the drummer of the house band. And if you remember the guy's line, I fucking hated that band. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the drummer was the, is the drummer for Oingo Boingo, which nice. is Johnny Vatos. And the other two musicians, one is Vatos Tito, Locos. Vatos Locos, Tito La Riva. And Tito was part of this really popular band called The Plugs in the 1980s. It was an underground band. And they used to. Is that do, one of those references that like Gabe Daigle is going to pop? Yes, for? it is. Gabe, shout out. <laughs> Jeff just gave you the shout out. He is absolutely going to pop for it. The plugs were the guys that did a lot of music for porn movies in the 1980s. What is this porn that you speak of? 
Yeah, well, it's an adult. I want to give two shout outs. First off, this list is incomplete if you do not have the original Dracula with Bela Lugosi on that, it. That's absolutely very fair. That is this. It's a travesty. You know, that should have honestly should have been the number one movie. It's unbelievable. But that Dust of Dawn is my favorite with also a movie called Vampires. Late 90s, James Woods, Daniel Baldwin and some other people who I forget who it was, but actually, you know who it was? Thomas Ian Griffith played the lead vampire from Where have we heard that name before recently, Bear? Yes, sir. Cobra Kai, Thomas Ian Griffith plays the lead vampire. He's fantastic. Really cool because James Woods is a vampire hunter and has a unique way of killing vampires. He has something attached to a four-wheel drive vehicle and will spear or lasso the vampires and then drag them out on a cable on this four-wheel drive into the sunlight to kill them. Hmm. And I had never seen that, but I thought that was great. Highly underrated film, but uh, how do you not have the original Dracula on, Jeff? Well, and not only that, and this will just wrap this segment up, but Barry, one other movie they have not featured, the great John Carradine, Dracula versus Billy the Kid. How did they miss that one, Bear? Yeah, it's a lot of fun, man. A lot of fun. All right, Barry, it's about time to hit the old go home here for another episode. Bring give a better than Barry. Uh, Barry, uh, a lovely chat about ED. First time we've ever uh, talked about ED on this fine podcast. Guaranteed not to be the last time, though, Jeff. <laughs> Right, <laughs> especially with you out there single and uh, ready to mingle again. Yes, so, you know, Barry Rose, uh, he's uh, in a night of passion, and uh, it has never happened to me before. If that occurs, Barry Rose, you have to include the audience in the story. <laughs> Patreon episode, and there our- you go. That'll give people a reason to spend five fucking dollars on this yep. show. And on that note, for my co-host Barry Rose, I am Jeff Bowden, along with our producer, the sweet man in the city by the bay, Lou Kippelman currently crowing like the proverbial rooster about the fact that the 49ers, the friggin' San Francisco 49ers, put the proverbial boots to Aaron Aaron Rodgers and those hated Green Bay Packers. Round of applause, Barry. Join me for those 49ers kicking the hell out of the Green Bay Packers. We are a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Take it home, Lou and Jimmy G. 